We appreciate so much you being here, whether you're uh, here in the auditorium or whether you're in the gymnasium or you're at home or wherever you might be, uh, gathering together to, to worship, uh, to think about uh, how wonderful of a God we have that we can lean on, one that we need, uh, and to, again, look at Nehemiah from the perspective of how does Nehemiah help us with our responsibility of making disciples? As you consider what's been going on in our country of late, I hope that this reminds you that the task that we have is still important. That you are not missing really what is happening is that that people still need Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that the answers to this, this country and to the relationships and the anger and such is still Jesus Christ. And we want to look at that today as we uh, uh, walk through uh, the first few verses of Nehemiah when he gets that bad news and his heart aches for his people. Before we look at that, I want to return to Luke 24. We spent some time there last week as we were considering how that uh, Jesus was saying all of the Old Testament is designed to point towards him and the hope that he provides. And so I want to again look at that passage from a little bit different perspective as an introduction to what Nehemiah comes across. Uh, he says in verse 21, uh, the, the account says, uh, this is what the, the two men on the road to Emmaus said to him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. You see, they were going from a heartache. What they had experienced in their city, Jerusalem, uh, had broken their heart. They had hope that Jesus would be that Messiah that would come in and take them out of all of the issues that they had uh, as a society. But Jesus took time to explain to them that even from the beginning, and what the scriptures have always said, that the Messiah that would come in wouldn't come in in the way and hope that they had been thinking, but that he would need to suffer and die. And as a result, he uh, shares all these things to, with them. And at the point after they recognize who he is, here's what they said. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? You see, that is the answer to the heartaches that we have, are the scriptures adequately understanding how that they point to hope and how they point to us having a proper relationship with God and how that we can navigate the, the challenges and the difficulties that this world throws at us. And so these men, as they wandered through that uh, time listening to Jesus, realized the word of God was the answer that they needed and their hearts burned Towards that word. We'll be looking at uh, verses one and two, but before we do of Nehemiah, but before we do, let's let's pray that that our hearts will burn today, 
rather than just ache because we are excited and encouraged by the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I am humbled with the responsibility that you've given to me to open your word and to share it with these dear folk. Father, I thank you for their faithfulness to uh, either tune in or to, uh, to be here today uh, so that we can not just get through a series, not just cover some uh, uh, characteristics that we think are important, but so that we will lift up your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we will see how that he is so critical in our lives. Father, sometimes in the mundane, when life is going easy and when we have things all according to what our expectations are, we do not see as clearly. We become apathetic. We get to the place where we aren't sensitive to what's going on around us and we're not sensitive to the needs of others. Father, I ask that as we look at a portion of Nehemiah's life where he could have been in that situation, in the position in which he, uh, he found himself uh, and in the information that he discovered. And Father, as we also deal with news that breaks our heart and brings us great heartache, that we will turn to you and we will see how you can help us through those difficult times. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In Nehemiah chapter 1, he starts out by saying this, that uh, after he introduces himself, he says, Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, 20th year of the king Artaxerxes, uh, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, uh, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And, said, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Now, I'm not sure really what was the full purpose of the visit of Hanani and his, uh, his uh, entourage from Jerusalem. The suspicion is, is that they were there particularly to deal with the issues that they had going on in Jerusalem, that potentially they were going to Nehemiah to, to share with them. I have no idea what kind of resources they thought that Nehemiah would be able to provide. Uh, Nehemiah humbly does not give any kind of indication in the first part of this passage as to what his position is, but he does towards the end of the chapter where he says, I was the king's cupbearer. So we know that he was of a place of position, but typically a cupbearer is not a whole uh, decision-making kind of uh, position, uh, although that might be decisions for the safety of the king, but not typically as to how to rule the world around you kind of position. So I'm really not sure what motivated them to come and speak to Nehemiah. Uh, I don't know if they were just curious as to how things were going for him or whatnot, but we find that in the very abridged version that Nehemiah gives us, they show up and he does this. And I ask them uh, concerning the Jews and Jerusalem. Nehemiah was curious as to what was going on. I don't know if he knew that was why they were there. Maybe there was a, a memo that there are some guys here to talk to you about Jerusalem. Or whether he, out of his interest and desire, wanted to know what's going on. Now, I took some time to think through what types of things might have been going on in the scenario. Again, this is all my imagination, but one thing that I think could 
be developing here is you have two different uh, cultures here. You have two different uh, uh, decisions that were made. You have Hanani and these men who decided to go back to Jerusalem and be a part of that rebuilding. And then you have Nehemiah, who I'm assuming decided to stay uh, with, with the Persian government. Now, this has not made a deal at all in Nehemiah, so this is all just what I would say is if I were to, to consider two groups of people getting together, and uh, one group represents one aspect, and another group represents another aspect, that there's potential for awkwardness. There's a potential for judging. There's a potential for Hanani and his friends to, uh, to think, wow, Nehemiah's got it nice here as they look around the palace and see all the different things. Uh, Nehemiah, why did he stay here? He could have come with us. He could have helped bear the, the brunt of some of the things that are going on. None of this is stated, so I don't know. But you know how our wicked hearts work, don't you? You know how we can look at what somebody else has and we can be uh, uh, judgmental in regard to it. So I'm, I'm just suspecting that that it was a potential temptation that was there. So I could see where, uh, quite frankly, if I was in the position that Nehemiah was, I'd probably just stay away from certain subjects, like uh, asking how things are back in Jerusalem, if I felt like they were judging me for not going back. But I think it's, it's important to know, regardless of what was going on in their hearts, and regardless of what scenario is, that Nehemiah was willing to ask the question. Will, he was willing to breach into a situation uh, because he cared. And as we consider heartache, and we consider how that we deal with people that have a heartache, and how do we understand them, we can look to Nehemiah, and we'll look to the New Testament on some items, as to how do we have empathy towards those that are going through difficult times. I think the first thing is just this, is be willing, when we empathize with others, to ask questions. I think Nehemiah could have, could have made them be the ones to breach the subject. He could have been the one to just kind of focus on what... Uh, what, what he had and how he could talk about all the things that are going on in, uh, uh, in, in his area there in uh, Susa. Uh, he could have uh, emphasized something totally different, but he chose instead to bring up this subject and to ask the question. And so as I consider this, I wonder if there's times when we know someone's hurting and we know we should ask some questions, but we are reluctant too. And that's why the first question I have about asking questions, do you really want to know? Now we are Iowa nice, right? Iowa nice is where we regularly ask people how they're doing. Howdy, how are you doing? Etc. And the proper thing to do is to say what? Fine, I'm good, whatever, you know, it's this type of thing. Uh, there are those rare occasions where someone says, really want to know. <laughs> and and uh, sometimes we're honest and say, no, I was just being polite. Maybe we'll catch that later. And we go on. But the, the, uh, the, the, the issue that we deal with in the, the realm of empathizing with other people, we know that certain questions could open up a can of worms, right? 
to, to talk about some things that are, might make us uncomfortable, that there might be things that they would expect of us, or there might be a solution they anticipate that lies within us uh, to not necessarily want to ask the question and hope that if we ask, how are you doing, we get a nice, appropriate reply of, I'm doing fine, uh, everything's good, how are you? But when we work with individuals that we want to come along to be like Christ, it helps to understand really what's in their hearts and what they're going through and what their difficulties are, that we would be willing to ask that question. Second question that I have under asking questions, do you really want that burden? Do you want to, as Galatians 6 talks about, bear this other person's burden? As a biblical counselor, there's times when people will, will share with me and then apologize for burdening me with the information that they have. And uh, I have to be very frank with them and say, this is not a burden to me that I have not embraced and I do not enjoy. As a matter of fact, I am honored when individuals are willing to share with me as what Paul Tripps calls their their fine china of their life. And sometimes it is messy, and sometimes it is difficult, and sometimes there are things that I cannot do about it other than to care and to listen and to uh, provide a direction to the one who can do something about it, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the uh, third item is that we may run into a situation where someone is hurting in something, and uh, we may have our own attitudes in regard to why they might be hurting, and that we may have difficulty listening to them because we're thinking, well, if you had only done such and such. Imagine if Nehemiah, instead of listening to them after they asked the question, and he said, and he said instead, yeah, I figured that'd probably happen once you guys go back to Jerusalem. I didn't really see any good quality leaders amongst the group, and uh, that probably things would fall apart. Uh, we have a tendency of doing that, you know, where we're just not really focused. And, and he has all of his opinions in this situation as to why are you in this trouble? Well, if you'd only maybe, uh, you know, you notice I didn't go back to Jerusalem uh, type of thing. And all those types of temptations that we have when someone is sharing an element in their lives. Because we might be thinking, well, if you only did this or that, then maybe you wouldn't be in that position. Years ago, I was uh, uh, right in the midst of the training for biblical counseling, uh, and there was a case study book that we had to study, and one of the cases was about a pastor who was, who has really come in to uh, just lay out all the difficulties of being a pastor, all the things that he was missing out on, how that his family were going through financial trials and all this, and and I was a young pastor, and I was just looking at that, and I thought, this guy needs to be straightened out, man. He went in, what was he, what was he thinking? You go into the ministry, that's what you should expect. Why are you, and so I've got, you know, I've got all these things in my case study, and I'm, I've got answers for them, et cetera. And then as we got to the time where the class discussed it, uh, the, uh, the instructor said, this case study is in the book to show us how to have empathy. I thought, well, I really blew that one, because I was thinking, uh, if he would only do this, this, and this, then he wouldn't be in the trouble that he is in, 
Uh, instead, I started looking at things a little differently at that particular point as to how do I listen to someone's concerns and set aside my own opinions and ideas so that I can truly hear them. Because that does happen times. When someone starts talking about something, you already have that uh, idea of where this is going. You already have your arguments in your head. You may be polite and may not say them out loud, but they're, 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 it's got to go through all these turnstiles in our thinking before we really accept, am I going to be empathetic towards this person's situation? And, and I believe that, uh, although I don't know all that Nehemiah did, but as I see what he does afterwards, I get the impression he asked the question genuinely, he truly wanted to understand, and when he heard the answer, he set aside all other things to devote his time to understand really what was going on in the lives of these people and in Jerusalem. And as we, as we look at this, we'll see what they actually said. He says, and they said to me, the remnant there is in the province uh, who had survived the exiles in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. They are in a, a situation where, where things are not in a good situation. And as a result, uh, Nehemiah is, is hearing this and he's assimilating it into his own situation. And it would be, again, easy for him to think through, okay, this is what I have and this is what they have. And it would be, it would be easy for him to be motivated mostly from the fact that he had and they didn't. And that he'd be looking at all that he has and they don't. And he would be tempted to, to just have sympathy on them because they didn't have and he did. And I don't think God is calling us to that. And God is calling us to really genuinely care for individuals based upon the fact that they are his creation, his children, and we want to see them grow in that situation. But let me just look at what it says here, on uh, what, I, what I have written here about listening. Uh, he did listen. I think he listened to understand. I, I think he listened so he could better represent the situation in his prayers. And I thought about this as I was preparing this message and... And that, that really convicted me to, to really uh, make sure that when I listen to people, am I listening to them well enough that I could represent them before God in a request before God? And you will see later on, next message that Lord willing will get a chance to preach, how much Nehemiah prays about this particular situation. And then thirdly, uh, listening may require us to consider our part in the situation. The third item I want to look about at emphasizing or empathizing with others is just the whole discipleship element. This is where we pull this into the life of Jesus and see, seeing what Jesus desires for us to, uh, to experience here. First of all, let's just look how Jesus actually uh, sympathized or empathized with different people. I don't have time to develop each of these, but hopefully you're familiar enough with them. Uh, and if not, you can go to the scriptures and find these cases and look at them a little more. But initially, he talks about, the, uh, I want to talk about how he dealt with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was an individual who was a part of the haves. 
Okay, he had great religious standing. He probably had uh, good money. He probably had good res- respect in the area. Uh, somewhat different than the fishermen and the tax collectors that Jesus typically uh, ran with, or the uh, uh, the individual that he comes up against in the in the second uh, or, the, or the final uh, example. But in this situation, Jesus had. St- you know, empathy for him, care for him, a desire for him to understand that his religion was not going to be what would give him hope in life. Uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He doesn't want the rest of the Pharisees, apparently, to know what he's doing, but he has this great concern, a burden, a heartache as to how he could have eternal life. And Jesus shares with him, that it's all about being born again. It's all about having a relationship with, with God and how that hinges on the love that God has for us, the empathy, the, the uh, concern that is wrapped up in that very familiar passage to, to almost, uh, almost uh, you know, the typical person. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus gives these great words of hope to help a man by the name of Nicodemus understand that his religion was not going to give him the hope that he needed. The, uh, the nation of Israel uh, and you know, was not going to give them the hope that he needed. He needed Jesus Christ. Jesus comes across the rich young ruler, if you're familiar with that passage, where, where he... In that situation, he asked Jesus how to have eternal life. Uh, and as a result, Jesus suggests that uh, if he's going to love God with all his heart, his soul, his mind, and to love his neighbor as himself as the answer that the rich young ruler gave, Jesus said, sell all you have, give to the poor, and follow me. And in that, he was not stating that you need to be poor to come to know Christ. You don't need to give up all your money to come to know Christ. But what you needed to do is remove the things that are obstacles in your life to come to know Christ. And this was a significant obstacle in his life because that is what he was placing his faith in uh, in regard to his eternal life, his wealth. And we have a temptation to put our hope in a lot of different things. And the people we work with, the individuals who we are concerned about reaching for Jesus Christ, they do similar And there might be things that are going on in our country today that is very disturbing to people. And our desire to empathize with them has to uh, require to understand why the events of this this year are impacting them, but also to be willing to give them this hope that is in the gospel. That maybe they're grasping after things that... uh, uh, that they no longer can grasp after, those are the things that are in the way of them, totally depending upon Jesus Christ. Third example of Jesus is the woman at the well. We've talked about this before, but uh, here's, a, here's a case where the woman is, is, uh, is, is just coming to the well on her own at a time when the other women don't, don't come. Uh, essentially what happens is that she is confronted with what genuine worship is, confronted with the fact that what she's been pursuing to fulfill her thirst, 
uh, were not the things that would uh, actually satisfy. And Jesus is saying, I can give you water that you will not thirst again. She's still thinking in her mind, that's going to be water that, that, uh, that makes up for what this dryness in my life is. And then Jesus confronts her as to her relationships and how that it seemed that she went from one relationship to another, to another, to another, and that the man that she was with uh, was not even her husband. And, uh, and she uh, is impressed by this. And when she understands who Jesus is, she goes back into Samaria, uh, and uh, she shares with those people in there, come and see someone who told me all about myself. Her, her desire for identity maybe got confused a little bit in all, all of her pursuits and what she thought would satisfy her. But Jesus was quick to help her understand that her identity is going to be in Jesus Christ. Uh, we looked at this passage, and I'll just uh, emphasize what Jesus was sharing on the Sermon on the Mount. He uses words that just... Uh, help us realize that life isn't always going to be easy and that there are some items in our life that are designed to draw us to God. And I just emphasized a portion of this. You've read it already today in a responsive reading. Uh, but he says, blessed those who mourn. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. And just realize that if there's mourning, that there's difficulties that are are that we're going to experience, and we will mourn, and there will be uh, challenges in our life. Second of all, that, that to be merciful means that there are going to be situations where we're going to want to uh, not be merciful, where we're going to put forth what we believe is right on our perspective and demand that on someone else. And then finally, there's going to be times where we just don't have peace, and it's going to be our desire to be peacemakers. Uh, Paul also talked about some things. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Talk about heartache. This is Paul in the midst of the book of Romans, one of the great Roman, uh, the, the great uh, doctrinal treaties that uh, we have in the New Testament that tells us everything from our condemnation and how that we need Jesus Christ as Savior as to all the way to how we play that out in our lives as, as Christians walking as, as children of God. And Paul, in the midst of there, drops in his great burden he bears. His heartache is to realize that as God has called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles, that his own countrymen, his own Jewish men and women of his nation are rejecting Christ. And he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And he goes to great lengths to let us know that this is not hyper hyperbole. Because he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. And my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Paul had that type of compassion and desire and empathy for the needs of people around him. Uh, he knew they needed not a new government. They needed Jesus Christ. They needed what Christ had to provide. And his heart was so broken because they would not accept that. And he even says, I 
could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off for Christ from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul shows a great compassion for them, but then he gives some instructions to us. He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Paul is writing in the 12th chapter of Romans on how we should live out our salvation before other people. And here's some of the key things of of providing uh, uh, a testimony of hope. That we would be able to share with other people the hope that lies within us. It's so tempting to want to share with people, this is what I believe, these are my standards, these are the things that are important to me, when really what we need to be sharing is what is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and ensuring that people understand that he is the answer. Paul says this uh, as well, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. That's hard sometimes. It's hard to rejoice with those who rejoice, especially if they're rejoicing over something you don't have uh, or they're rejoicing over something that you wish you had uh, done differently or, or whatever, but it's, it's also difficult to weep with those who weep. We can, we, can, we, can, we can shed a tear, but I mean to truly weep when you think of what, what, uh, what I was talking about there is to enter in emotionally uh, with, the, with these other people as to what they're going through. Quickly, I'll just talk about what Peter says and, and we'll move on. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I share that verse to give you an idea of the whole emphasis of the book, 1 Peter. Peter is writing to encourage people that are going through heartaches. They're going through difficult times. They, they're dispersed. It's, uh, their, their life is not in any form of norm, and they're going through difficulties. So that's, that's kind of his uh, sharing. Don't be surprised, he says, if you're going through these fiery trials. God has a plan for it. But here's what he says in the... Uh, just before this, in chapter 3, he says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a... Right in the heart of talking about heartache, he's encouraging them of all the things that we control. Control. We can't control what's going on around us. When we turn on the news or or check the websites, there are things that disturb us. But we can control whether or not we're going to trust in Jesus Christ and whether or not we're going to allow it to spill out in our unity of mind, our sympathy, our brotherly love, our tender heart, our humbleness, and how we treat each other uh, through those times. And we desire to bless others. Peter uses these words too. He says, for whoever desires, and this comes from actually the 34th Psalm of David. Uh, my Bible tells me he wrote this uh, right after he was dealing with King Achish and he had to pretend to be a madman to be able to escape persecution in that situation. His life was definitely on the line. And he says this, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Uh, In times of turmoil and difficulty, we may not make 
pursuing peace, our goal. That word pursue is translated into a few different words. Another word that it's translated into is persecute because it's the word to chase. And so when I'm pursuing peace, I am chasing after it with great intensity, not just, well, I hope that this all works out. I'm determined to do the things that will lead to peace. We will find ourselves in some conversations that don't lead to peace. We need to seek God's uh, direction on how we can pursue peace with others and speak hope into a situation. Nehemiah responds after this. And there's just one verse here, and we'll, we'll go through this fairly, fairly quickly as we wrap up. But I wanted us to think about how he responded. We'll get more detail of it next week, Lord willing, but here's what he does. First of all, he spends time. He responds with care, but he spends time. He says, as soon as I heard these words for days, and I continued. That's just part of verse 4 that I picked out there. If you look in your text, you can see the others, and I'll, I'll see them in the other portion of, this, of the outline. But you see time is involved. There are times when we can't afford, to, after someone has unloaded on us some things that are going in our life, just to do nothing. We may be required to, to say something. But what I think is fitting here is, Paul, is that Nehemiah took the time to turn to God and work through this. There were emotions that, that developed here. Uh, as you see this, the second part, he says, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Nehemiah was, was legitimately concerned about what was going on in Jerusalem. Now, I tried to figure out how far away Susa and Jerusalem are from each other. Uh, straight line is about 750 miles. But then I looked at some maps on how they went. They went more like the over, so it's probably closer to 1,200 miles. Uh, you're, you're, when, I, when I think of something 1,200 miles away, uh, that's beyond even where I have to go to see my grandkids. You know, and that's a long way, especially through Nebraska. You know, so uh, you know, I... I, I, I'm thinking that's a long ways. And then I, I decided to research how far can someone go on a horse if they're riding horses, uh, you know, 25, 30 miles a day. And I'm thinking, this would take taking weeks. I mean, Jerusalem's like way away from here. You know, it would be very easy for uh, Nehemiah to just think, well, that's just, you know, out of sight, out of mind. I mean, I just think that just, that's just across the other side of the world uh, from, 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 from my perspective. But he wept. And he was concerned about it, and his, uh, he mourned for days. That's empathy. Because he could easily just said, well, um, man, I'm glad I'm here in the palace. I'm glad I got, you know, my, uh, my job here is secure. I've got all these things going on. I think I will just uh, tell my friends, be warmed and be filled, and go along their way, and uh, give your regards back in Jerusalem. And uh, forget about this. This is just, what, what can I do? But Nehemiah took the time to, to allow his emotions to draw him, not to some reaction, not to some uh, energized uh, action, but to really allow him to meditate on and think about what was happening and where the solution was. Because you'll see that the next thing he does as he prays, he says, I continued fasting and praying before God of heaven. That he went from hearing the news 
spending time, emotionally sorting things out, but he didn't do it in the vacuum of his own emotions, and he didn't do it in the vacuum of what other people's thoughts and words are. He did it in the time with God, with God giving him clarity and giving him wisdom and how to move forward. He says, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. As we consider what our responsibility is, our responsibility is not to fix our nation. Our responsibility is to share the gospel so that people will come to know Christ. And as they continue to live for Christ, that will have a long-standing impact. And may we not forget that doing so will require us to, to listen and to, 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 to get involved uh, with people's lives and desire to understand what is going on. But the key thing is that this is going to be motivated not just by emotion, but by prayer and dependence upon God. As we kind of summarize dealing with heartaches, uh, first item is, is really, do we want to care about other people? Do we want to think about those in our communities, those that we work with, those with, that uh, are part of our family? Do we genuinely care about them and what impact eternity is going to have? Do we care and do we want to know what's going on in their lives? Do we want to have a, an impact there? The second one is, how do I control myself? There are some news that really disturbs me. There are some news that uh, uh, causes me to get distracted and derailed. Am I capable of turning those things over to my God and consulting him? That I am willing to... To, to determine that it's not about what I think answer should be. It's about me submitting to him. I just want to encourage you that uh, God provides hope. And if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you don't know what it means to have someone to turn to that, uh, as, that has an answer for you like he did for Nicodemus, that he has an answer for you like he did the rich young ruler, that he has an answer for you like he did at the woman at the well, that he can identify with you, he knows you, he knows where your heart is, that you can place your faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one who died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again that you might have eternal life. That is where our hope is, and that is what we need to have as a message going forth, uh, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout our days so that people come to know Jesus Christ. Father, we, we thank you for Nehemiah. He definitely is a man that uh, has been used of you to accomplish some things in the history, but he also is a man that reminds us of the fact that, that, that people have heartaches, people have hurt, and uh, we have people around us with heartaches and hurt, a lack of hope, fear is, is manifesting in their lives. I pray, God, that we will be available to them so that we can not lead them to whatever our opinion is, but we lead them to your gospel and your hope. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.